0: But Ezekiel is an amazing prophet. He really is. And as you turn in your Bible to chapter 22, we'll go through some of this chapter. Ezekiel finds himself as a man of God, a prophet of God, a man who loves God in the midst of a godless nation. That's a hard spot to be in. You love the Lord, you love the word of God, you love the things of God, you want to do right, but so many people around you do not. And the people that were called after God's own name, the children of Israel have gone into captivity, and Ezekiel is one of those prophets that is prophesying as they go into captivity And God is angry. He's angry with His people. You're going to see that in this chapter. If you drop down to verse 20 in the middle of the chapter, God lets us know how angry He is. And contrary to the Disneyland God that people have a figment of imagination of, God can get angry, and He does get angry. And um, He is not a tyrant, He is not unkind but he does get angry at wickedness. And the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 22 in verse number 20, as we look at the anger of the Lord in this chapter, it says, As they gather silver and brass and iron and lead and tin into the midst of the furnace to blow the fire upon it, to melt it, so will I gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. It sounds like it's pretty angry there. 21, yea, I will gather you and blow upon you in the fire. You, you, you ever blown on a fire and kept it going, you know, and the more you, blow, the more you blew on the fire, the bigger the flames go. God says, I'm going to blow on you in the fire of my wrath. What a picture. And ye shall be melted in the midst thereof. Verse 22, as silver is melted in the midst of the furnace, so shall ye be melted in the midst thereof, and ye shall know that I... The Lord have poured out my fury upon you. And this is not pouring out his fury on some heathen people that don't know who God is. These are the people that have had his word and his prophets and every advantage of the truth. So God does get angry. And you say, well, what's he angry about? Why would God get angry with people? Why would a loving, gracious, merciful God get angry at people? And, and as you go through the chapter, you see why. Would you go back up to verse number one? Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, "Now, thou son of man, wilt thou judge? Wilt thou judge the bloody city? Yea, thou shalt show her all her abominations." Isn't that a wonderful? is that an interesting thing? We live in a world where it said, "Judge not, judge not," and God asked His prophet, "Are you not going to judge?" Somebody needs to judge what's going on. What what what's the problem? Why is the Lord mad? Verse three. Then say thou, thus saith the Lord God, the city sheddeth blood in the midst of it. Verse 4, Thou art become guilty in thy blood that thou hast shed. Do you see that? Verse number six Behold the princes of Israel, every one were in thee to their power to shed blood. Verse number 9, in thee are men that carry tails to shed blood. Verse 12, in thee have they taken gifts to shed blood. Well, he's angry because of all the bloodshed that's going on, all the violence. You know, we're sort of isolated from some of that. We live in Ardmore and in Limestone County or Madison County, wherever you find yourself. There's a lot of bloodshed going on in the land. To have such, watch this, you ready? To have such an open, acceptive, inclusive, welp- welcoming society for everybody and everything, a whole lot of people sure are dying. I get this thing constantly on my, on my phone. It says how many people were shot in Chicago from Friday night to Sunday morning. It's, it's, it's amazing just in that one city, every single day. Not not to mention all the the babies that they kill and all the things that we don't. God God gets angry at that. So he's angry, but that's not all he's angry at. Look at verse 3 again. It says, Thus saith the Lord God, the city sheddeth blood in the midst of it, that her time may come, watch this, and maketh idols against herself to defile herself. Verse number 4. It says, Hast defiled thyself in thine idols which thou hast made. He's also mad because of their idolatry. They have defiled themselves. They have made idols that are against their own selves and an idol. We have an idol worshipping society, whether it's a. An idol of a movie star or a musician or a job or a hobby or money or covetousness, which is idolatry or someone's job or whatever. People have all types of idols. And an idol is just something that, that you worship at the, at the feet of or something that captivates your life or controls your life. And I'll say this this morning, anything. You say, what kind of Father's name? I'm this introduction. Okay, just hold on. Help me. We'll get through it fast. An idol is anything that, that captivates your time and your heart and your mind more than God. That's what an idol is. And, and God's angry about that. To the point he's going to destroy them. He's going to judge them. He is also angry. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, thou, verse number 8 of Ezekiel 22. He says, thou hast despised mine holy things. You, you, you despise the holy things that I have set before you. You despise my temple. You despise my altars. You des- Your heart is not drawn to holy things. It despises the holy things. And so when you despise God's holy things, not just His things, but notice it says, Mine holy things. When you despise the holy things of God, or when a society or a nation despises the holy things of God, God gets angry about them you would would think no less not only that verse number 10 In thee have they discovered their father's nakedness. In thee have they humbled her that was set apart for pollution. Verse 11, And one hath committed abomination with his neighbor's wife, and another hath lewdly defiled his daughter-in-law, and another in thee hath humbled his sister, his father's daughter. It's a commentary on our society today. It is a society of nakedness and a society of fornication. And God's angry with it. He sees it. He sees all the debauchery and the immorality. He's not just up in heaven with his eyes closed. He's angry about it. And he's not only angry about that, but I want to point out one other thing to you by way of introduction. The Bible said in verse 25, all those that should be the spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel are not only not doing their job, they're doing the devil's work. Ezekiel 22, verse 25, there's a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. What have they done? The prophets, the spiritually, Luke, verse 28, and her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people that are supposed to be the spiritual leaders, he's angry because they are saying God said when God didn't say. And before you judge false preachers that do that, there's a lot of Christians that do that. God told me to do this and God wants me to do that. And God never said no such of a thing. I've heard people say God told me to leave my spouse and marriage and I've heard people say, God told me this wickedness is okay. God's all right with it. You need to be careful what you say God said. And he's mad about it. But these are spiritual leaders. Look at the spiritual leaders in verse number 26. Her priests have violated my law. The very people that are supposed to be upholding the law are violating the law. And have profaned my unholy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbath. And I am profane among them. He says these spiritual leaders are supposed to show everybody the difference between what's holy and what's not. And there's no difference. They don't show anybody anything. It's all a hodgepodge. And they're supposed to be the spiritual leadership. And God's angry about it. Because they have not fulfilled their job, and that's the day we live in. We don't have spiritual leaders, many of them in America anymore, that'll put a difference between what is holy and what is profane. But not only the spiritual leaders, look at the, the political leaders. Verse 27. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey. To shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. The political leaders, those princes, those in authority in the nation, not just spiritually, but over the land, they are corrupt and they are after dishonest gain and they are also destroying the people. Almost like just a commentary on America. And so God is mad. But the situation is not hopeless. As we come to the end of the chapter, we read this. Verse 30. God says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. The Lord says, I I tell you what the situation is. It looks hopeless, but if I can just find a man. If I can just find a man, it will hold back the destruction that I intend to bring upon this land. You know what it sounds like? It sounds just like what God did with Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that? If I could just find 10 people, judgment's coming and I'm going to. But if I could just find 10 people, I won't destroy it. Couldn't find any. Couldn't find the 10 people. And they were destroyed, of course. You know the story. And here he's going to destroy his, the, the, the people of God, he, he's going to bring judgment in their lives and the nation. And he says, I tell you what, I'm just looking for a man. If I can find a man, I won't destroy it. I, I, though they've got all these problems, if I can find a man in their midst that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap, I will not do this. That tells me that things really do crumble without manly, godly leadership. If God cannot find a man, not only will a nation be destroyed But our homes will be destroyed. And I'll say this. I don't think it's just God that's looking for a man. I think there's some children that are looking for a man. You know how many children don't have a father? And then, do you know how many children don't have a man for a father? And then, do you know how many children don't have a godly man for a father? There was a day in our society that years and years ago, that some of the fathers, they may not have been godly men, but at least they were men. And that held back some of the judgment, it really did. But we need more than men. We need godly men. And there are not just God looking for them. It must be very rare to find if He can't find one. It must be rare to find in a home. And when God's work slows down or degenerates, it really does stem in faulty men. He didn't say, I, I saw it. For a child, he didn't say I saw it for a woman, he said I sought for a man. Couldn't find one. Uh, let me say this and, and I'll move on to, to the book of Genesis and, and I want to give you four things this morning. When a society becomes matriarchal, it is depraved. I'll say that again. When a society becomes matriarchal, it is depraved. If your home is matriarchal, it is not in the will of God. And we have a lot of people that listen from all over the place to our messages. And I want to say this. I'm sure there's nobody in this building this way. (laughs) But if you are a man that is stuck in a relationship where... Your wife will not let you be the man of the house. I pray that God will somehow intervene and deliver that situation. Go to Genesis chapter 2 with me. God's search for a man. Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says in verse number 15. Genesis 2 verse 15, the Bible says, And the Lord God took the man. Okay, we had our Mother's Day message. Can we have our Father's Day message? God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden. To dress it. And to keep it. Is that what the Bible says? Okay. It was not Eve's responsibility to keep the garden. It was that man's responsibility. It was not even the the, the woman's responsibility to dress the garden. The caretaker... Please listen to me. The caretaker that God intended for the Garden of Eden was Adam. He was supposed to take care of that garden. He was responsible for it. You know what a godly man is, a godly father is? Someone that will take responsibility for it. That the buck stops here. It's not her job. It's my job. It's not her job to be the spiritual. Thank God for our ladies that are spiritual and walk with God. But hey, I have, I have served and ministered as a missionary in cultures where you could not find a man that was interested in things of God. It was the woman that had the lead in everything. And that's not the plan and will of God. And that is a recipe for disaster. God put Adam to take care of the garden. God give us men that are caretakers. And I say when he's looking for one, many times it's hard to find. Guys, you know, in caretaking your family, it's not just you paying the bills. And, and, and thank God you, you have that responsibility. But it's not just, you know, getting off work, coming home, and then you have no more responsibility. Come on, say amen, or I ain't going to get off the first point. Your responsibility as a man extends farther than your Paycheck. You have to take care of your wife. You have to take care of your children. You have to take, you have to protect them. And the protection that they're probably going to need is not from some burglar coming in at night, but something else that comes into your house. Adam, I'm counting on you to take care of the garden. Now, I don't know how good a job he did. Now, if you knew that there was a tree in there that if your wife took of it, she's dead, what would you do to that? I think I'd have signs all around that tree. Danger. Stay away. <laughs> Me, you know, hindsight's twenty-twenty. I think, amen, I'd have built a box around it. Is anybody listening to me? If there is a serpent in your house, are you just gonna just say, okay, make yourself at home? It is Adam's responsibility to take care of of, of the welfare of, of his wife and of the garden. And he thinks everything's great because he's, he is right with God and he is innocent and he is wise. And he's not going to listen to the death. But he's got to take care of the garden. It's his job. He's going to answer to God for it. Well, Watch this. When God came in the garden to judge, you know what he did? Listen. He looked for a man. You see Genesis chapter 3. Do you see that there in verse number 9? Ladies, if there, there's any consolation in the fact for you that God made the man the head of the home, it is that God is going to hold him accountable. Right. Right. You know what that book says? It says be not many many masters. Why? Because we're going to have to stand before God with what we have been given responsibility for. Right. Guys, when the book stops there, that, that's not always a wonderful thing. That's a scary thing. I want to be in charge. You want to be in charge? you got to answer to God. Look, guys, every one of you men in here this morning, I don't have to answer for your home. You do. You will answer to God for your house. You will answer to God where you went to church. You will answer to God for your children. You will answer to God for every... I don't... Not me! Not to ch- You! God gives you that caretaking responsibility. That is a very sobering thing. And some man said, "Well, I'm ahead of I'll tell you what. You you think long and hard about that. That that'll put you in fear. That'll put you in hum- That that'll humble you." Man, I got to stand before God with this. The Bible said in verse 9 there in Genesis chapter 3, would you look at it right there? It says, "And the Lord God called unto who?" Unto who? He didn't call to Eve. Are you listening? He came looking for a man. He sought for a man. He said, where art thou, Adam? He's looking for Adam, just like He's looking for a man in Ezekiel chapter 22. Where's the man? Am I going to find a man that's in the gap, that's making up the hedge, that's taking care of the garden? Or am I not going to find the man there that's done his job? He's looking for a man in the garden to take care of it. Would you go to Genesis 18? God's looking for caretakers, men that are caretakers. Genesis chapter 18, the Bible says in verse number 17, this is the story when God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course there's, It's just like the scenario that we read in Ezekiel 22. Can I find 10 and not destroy it? And, of course, he did not, as we already said. But what predicates this is Genesis chapter... 18 and verse number 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a mighty, a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because they're, they're is grievous I will go down now and of course you know the rest of the story and then Abraham Abraham starts talking to God and he says God please please God Abraham was a caretaker he not only took care of his family he commanded his children and and if you're not giving commands to your children you're not being the caretaker of your home and you can do that in a godly way by the way don't be a jerk You have to say that today. You have two extremes in our country. You have people that don't do anything at all in commanding their children. And then you have the jerks. Let's be like Jesus. (laughs) He says, Adam will command. He'll take care of his house. They'll go the way of the Lord. And I'm going to go down here and I'm going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham in trying to take care of his family. You know who he tries to take care of? He tries to take care of Lot because that's also part of his family. He tries to take care of his extended family, Lot's wife and Lot's children that were all godless, but he's still trying to help them. You know what a godly man is? A godly man that God's looking for that will have the compassion and the concern enough to even to try to take care and help people. Maybe they don't even deserve it. And Abraham goes to God and said, God, please, please, God. You're a righteous God. But would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Would you? Don't, don't, please don't do that. And he cares enough about Lot that he begins to pray for them. And and not just that. I think his care extended to the people of Sodom. He did not want them to die the death of the wicked. You know God is not willing that any should perish. The Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not. He didn't get a thrill out of of people going to hell. That's not our God. He wants them to be saved. He wants them to be rescued. He wants them to be, be delivered. He wants their lives to be changed. And that's the attitude of Abraham. Oh God, you know, if it had been you and me, we probably wouldn't have cared about Sodom. But God found a man that cared enough to pray. That's part of being a caretaker of your home. Why is it that we hear so much about praying mothers but we don't hear a lot about praying fathers? What's wrong with that picture? Here Abraham is interceding oh God please and God listens to him. chance whatsoever where it started. But as he kept talking to God, please God, and he interceded and he prayed and God heard his prayer, oh God give us, find when God came to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, he found a man that interceded. When God maybe would come to judge your house, will he find a praying man there? When God comes to judge our nation will he find any men to pray, any men to make intercession? I said, well, what should I pray for them for? I mean, they're all corrupt politicians. Yet yeah, God says, "I I will therefore first of all that prayers and intercessions be made for all men, all those in authority, for kings." Maybe when God says I can't find a man, I can't find a man to pray. I can't find a man that's a caretaker enough that will... Guys, look, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to be a great godly father in your home. You know what you probably just need to do? You probably just need to know how to pray with your family. Why is it so quiet? Just pray with you. You you, you don't have to know all the theology. If you can get on your knees and put your arm around your kids and pray with them. And God says, I can't find anybody. I can't find a caretaker like Abraham. You're in Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 6. Would you go back? When God came to town to destroy the world in Genesis chapter 6. You know what he found? He found a man. When God looked down in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. And he could surely do that today I'm sure. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. The Bible says. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'm sure that's true today. And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. And the Lord said, "I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls earth. for it repented Me that I have made them." Now, when you read that, tell me, tell tell me, how many people is He going to destroy? Everybody. Everybody's dead. Even the animals are dead. Sounds like he's pretty mad. Verse 8. But. Thank God. You would not be alive. If it was not for verse 8. You would not be in the earth. You would never exist. If it hadn't been for verse number 8. But. Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord as the God is looking at all this he said wow I just found a man I found a man where my grace is in his life and my grace can be on his life verse number 9 these are the generations of Noah Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God I I finally found somebody that will walk with God The Bible said in verse 14, God told him, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Because if we're going to save mankind, I've got to have a builder. I've got to have somebody to build something. I've got to have somebody willing to build something that's never been built. I need to have a visionary that's going to follow the plan of God. And do everything I tell him to do. And I just found a man that will build something for me. No, I want you to build an ark. Never be. How many of you have seen that thing they've got up in Kentucky? <laughs> Pretty big thing, isn't it? <laughs> the ark is not like building a house. <laughs> it's a huge construction. You know what? I'm glad he found a man that was willing to do that. What if Noah said, you know, God, I'd love to help you out, but I golf on Saturday. God, look, God, listen, listen, God. If I build something for you, I gotta quit my job. I gotta stop my day job. Do you know I'd say art building takes up every every minute of your time. <laughs> But no, Noah says, All right, God, you want an ark built, I'll build you something, Lord, and I'll do it I'll do it just like you say, and I won't put my two cents if it'd been the average man so you know what I think it could be better doing this way. Hush your mouth, just do what he said. <laughs> Noah's smart enough to do it. He found a man that could follow instructions. Yeah. How many of us have seen men get out the instruction book to put it together? And they lay the instruction book aside and they go to put it together and then it don't fit and it doesn't work. I'm guilty. I'm guilty to the point I don't even do that anymore. Because when I get through with it, it don't look like it's supposed to look. And it doesn't work like it's supposed to work. Matter of fact, I make a bigger mess. Than it's pitiful. Aren't you glad God found a guy, a man that knew how to build Something. And build it according to his instructions and build it right. Because if it wasn't for him finding this man, there would be no humanity. And I think God's still looking for builders. You know why? Because Jesus is a builder. When God sent forth his son into this world, he said, I tell you what I want you to do for a living. For a living. You do know Jesus worked a job. You do know Jesus worked a job. Just an ordinary, mundane job Till he was 30 years old. What did he do? He built things. You can go have the Shroud of Turing. I want something that he built. <laughs> I want one of the doors he carved out. Amen. One of the chairs. I want something that carpenter touched. You know what he says I'm going to build? It's not going to be a chair. It's not going to be a house. It's not going to be a door frame. I'm going to build a church. And God found the man to build a church. It was his only begotten son. But I wonder, will he find here, as he's walking around, will he find anybody to build anything for him? You say, what am I supposed to build, preacher? I'm not a carpenter and I'm not a mechanic. I can't build an engine. What can I build? How about some character in your children? You know why children don't have any character? They don't have a a father to, to build that in their lives. I want to testify and thank the Lord Jesus Christ for giving me a dad. That spent years trying to build character in his boys, even when they weren't interested in hearing the lesson. He wanted to build something in us. Are you a builder? Are you a visionary that will follow the plan of God? Will you build a safety net for your family? Can, When God is looking for a man to build something to bring safety to society or to a church or to a home, can He find a man to build it? God didn't build the ark. A man built the ark. And if a man hadn't been willing to build the ark, everybody'd be dead. God won't build your home. And the Lord Jesus Christ won't even build his church by himself. We're co laborers together with God. We have to work with him. When I think of builders, I don't we just got through preaching through the book of Nehemiah. I enjoyed that so much I'd almost be willing to turn around and do that again. What a builder! God found a builder. In the midst of of his people in danger. In the midst of his people scattered. In the midst of heartache. In the midst of captivity. God found a man that was willing to build. To build a wall. Can God find fathers not that are just fathers. But that fathers know how to build a family. Fathers that know how to build a wall for their family. Fathers that know how to build a child. By the way, being a father is not just protecting your child. It's also building your child to become what they're supposed to be. As adults. Mentoring. Can God find a man that will let God use them to build their home? Listen. Guys, guys, wait. Listen to me. Listen to me. We have got to stop destroying our homes and let God help us to build them. And churches can't be built or grow without real men being found to do that task. Luke chapter 4, would you grab that quickly? God searched for a man. He searched for a caretaker. He searched for a builder. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, as Jesus stands up in the synagogue of Nazareth, he opens the Bible and he begins to read. And he's reading about himself. God found a man, his only begotten son, the God-man. The man Christ Jesus. To do this, verse 18, Luke four eighteen, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, God has always been looking for a man to be a deliverer. Here, of course, his only begotten son was sent to preach deliverance to the captives that we may be delivered from our iniquity, to be delivered from our blindness, to be delivered from our bruising, to be delivered from our chains, to be delivered from our brokenheartedness, to be delivered from our sin. Jesus found the man to do that. But you know, it's not just Jesus that was the deliverer. If you've read the whole Bible, you have a story of God finding men to deliver people. God finds Moses. God did not send an angel down to deliver the children of Israel. He says, "I'm looking for a man." Now, when Moses thought he was that man, he was not that man. Oh, what a lesson that is! I've got, i got what it takes. No, not right now, you don't. Why don't we wait till you're 80 and maybe you'll get it? Guys, we don't have that. Time, we don't have that long to wait. We need to humble ourselves early on in the game. I'm looking for a man. Who's going to deliver? I've got him on the backside of that wilderness long enough. I think I finally found me a deliverer. He has humbled himself. Egypt is out of his heart and mind now. And he's not pumped up, puffed up with pride and self-sufficiency and confidence in himself. And now I found somebody that can trust me. I found somebody humble enough and meek enough that I can use. Deliverers are always meek. Moses, meekest man on the planet earth. And God says, I found one, finally. Because all these puffed up men, I can't use them to deliver nobody. Jesus Christ, I'm meek and lonely. And he was the deliverer. Joshua, after Moses' death, and he delivers him. God found Joshua. He's a meek guy as well. He's a humble man as well. And he delivers the people of God as well. He didn't even think he deserved the job. He just wanted to be a servant to Moses. What a man. All through the book of Judges, the people of God get in a terrible situation. And God finds a man here. And he finds a man there and another man to deliver. And when you think the children of Israel have gone just as far as they can go and there's no hope, God steps out and says, I found him. I found the deliverer. Here's a left-handed man. God can even use left-handed men. Amen. I I, I found a little baby is going to be born. Samson by name with all of his faults and failures. But he had to find a man. If God looks down today, does he see any deliverers? And Jesus in this text, he's not just a deliverer. It says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Do we have any men... Guys, it'll take the Spirit of God. Please, will you listen to me? If you're going to be a good father, it's not just being nice and kind, and it's not just being smart, and it's not just being wise, and it's not just having good uh, uh, standards, and it's not just being strong, and you ought to be strong, and it's not just being meek, and you need to be meek. You need to be all that. But the ingredient here for this deliverer is that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And it was the Spirit of God that made Him the deliverer for my soul. That led Him, led Him in the wilderness and led Him to the cross and led Him as He preached. How can God find a man that the Spirit and the anointing of God, I'm not talking about a preacher, I'm talking about a a, a father in a house that's full of the Holy Ghost and that's led by God to be the deliverer for His family. You said, "Preacher, what if my family don't want to be delivered?" Well, maybe you'll be able to deliver somebody else's family. Maybe you'll be able to help somebody down the road. He says, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach," and here's where I conclude. Would you go to Isaiah chapter six? God, as He looks for a man, He's looking for caretakers. He's looking for builders. He's looking for deliverers. And then the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, you know the text. Verse number 8, The Bible, we use this as a missionary clause, and that's okay. But I want you to look at the text. He says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He's looking for somebody. I'm, I'm seeking for somebody. To do what? To go for us. For who? God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Then said I, Isaiah, here am I. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people. You, you know what we need? We need some declarers. God is looking for a man to declare. To declare what he said, to declare his truth, and I'm not just talking about preachers and missionaries, though. Lord knows we need that, but we need people that we need fathers and men that will declare the truth of God in the workplace, and declare the truth of God in their homes, and declare the truth of God in their neighborhoods. Men that will stand up and hold a sign, and not be afraid to identify with God and His Word. Stand on a street corner and read the Bible in the home and say, this is the way and we need to walk in it. That's the manly thing. The manly thing is to sell out to Jesus Christ and speak up for Him. Speak up for Him in a world that doesn't hear His voice. The manly thing is to be like Jesus and say what He said. And we appreciate all our ladies. But the great job of the declaration, those that are to declare the truth are supposed to be the men. I'm looking for a man that will speak up for me. Yeah. And that's why all across this land we've got women pastors and the Southern Baptist Church is about to split in half. Another denomination already given in. Well, we don't care who it is. We'll just have somebody get up there and speak. No, no. God's looking for a man to speak for him. And guys, we can criticize all we want to. But if you're a man in this building and you criticize what I just said, and you won't speak the word of God to your family and to your friends and to your relatives and to your coworkers, you are part of the problem. God says, "I'm, I'm looking for a man. Can I trust somebody to take care of it? Can I find somebody to build something? Can I find a deliverer? And can I find a declarer of my truth?